So, as the children are filing out of God's house, the first thing I want to do before we get into the Word of God, and, and believe me, I do want to get into the Word of God. Um, anybody love the Bible in here? Nothing like the Bible. The title that I have for you this morning is right here. You guys have seen this hundreds, if not thousands of times. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Because it is, it, it should be the, the fundamental essence of our lives. But again, as I said already, before we get into the Word of God, I want to acknowledge some visitors. Any visitors in the house today? Can you just stand where you are? Visitors. This is the first time you've been here. Um, Zoe, you've been here before, Zoe? You have? Oh, my. Enrique, you've been here before? Oh, well, I, well can I get you guys to stand anyway? Because we want to, we want to pray for you. Can you um, help them? Bring them up here, Zoe. Can you bring Enrique up here? Enrique, pasa por acá, por favor, que vamos a orar por ti. Enrique is someone, obviously, you guys are acquainted with. Uh, I met him last year sometime um, ministering with Ron and Vet and the entire um, Heights of Grace team under the bridges. And for such a time as this, God has brought... Can I get the elders to come up with me, please? Yes, yes. The day, Lord have mercy. You don't have to remind me about that one. That was traumatic. So, this is Zoe. This is Enrique. ¿Cómo te llamas? Mario. This is this is Mario. So, the reason why I asked him to come forward is because I want I want to pray for him as a congregation. Pray for them as a congregation. Enrique has stage four. Right? It is stage, stage four, stage four cancer, and he's under a lot of pain. I don't know if anybody here can relate with that, <clears throat> but I've seen it. I'm sure you have as well. So he's under a lot of pain, and we just want to commend him to God. How many agree with that? We just want to commend him to God. The Bible says pray, as bring them before the elders, and ask that the elders pray. And we just trust in God to do what only he can do. The doctors can no longer do anything else for him. That is quite obvious. They started administering morphine, right? Morphine. Uh, because they have no more solutions, no more answers for his situation. But God can. How many believe that God can? Amen. Come on, how many really believe that God can? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So we are going to pray for them. Mario, tú estás bien? De salud? Todo bien. Diabetes. So he's Mario's diabetic. So he had a stroke recently. He just he was in the hospital recently for a few days. Tres días, ¿verdad? For three days. So we're going to pray for Mario, Enrique, and Zoe, and the girls. You saw the girls. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. Father, we thank you for Mario. We thank you for Enrique. We thank you for Zoe and all the children on hand. We thank you, Father, because you drew them to this place here today. We receive them. We welcome them. We want to love on them. We pray, Father God, that you help us to love on them as you would have us to do so. We don't want to be ignorant with, with this wonderful responsibility you set before us as a church. Help us to be faithful and to follow up in whatever way possible. However, Father, we bring them before you because they have physical ailments. Mario is diabetic. He has had a stroke quite recently. He was in the hospital for three days. And he needs a physical touch from you. The Bible says to bring the, the sickly before the elders and have the elders pray for them in faith. For this morning, Father, we are just simply bringing them before you, believing that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we could ever ask or imagine. You are the great physician. You are the almighty living God. You are all powerful. We pray for Enrique and this stage four cancer. Father, it's got nothing on you. 
It's got nothing on you. You can eradicate it from his physical body instantly just by saying the word. And so we understand that as your elders in this church, we are your hands and your feet. And so we speak for you, Father God, by praying over him so that healing could be manifested in his physical body. He needs you, Lord God, in this way. He needs you. He needs you right now, Lord God. Please make a difference in his life. Please make a difference in his physical body. And if there's anything other than cancer in his body, we pray that you address that as well, Lord God, and eradicate it and bring healing to his body. We pray for Zoe, Lord God. Her heart is overwhelmed. And I know it. I see it. We all know it. We all sense it. You know her situation with regard to residency, her heart for Enrique and his burden. She's carrying the burden of so many, so many children. We pray, Father God, that you reach into her life as well, Lord God, and bring, bring healing to her situation. Bring resolve to her situation. Bring peace, Father God, into the storm. In fact, Lord, quiet the storm in the name of Jesus Christ. Bring peace to her life. Find her a home. Bring her the resources that she needs, Lord God. Rectify this situation. We pray believing in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Thank you, church. So the title, as I stated already, is the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And today we're going to talk about God's wonderful purpose in our lives regarding His Word. God's wonderful purpose in our lives regarding His words. How many know that God's ultimate purpose in our lives is fulfilled only through the absolute authority of God's truth? Found in this word. How many, how many know that? Listen, I don't know about you, but I, will not, I would not be where I'm standing today if it were not for the authority of the word of God. If it were not for the life substance found only in the word of God. So our context this morning, the emphasis that we are going to make is the word of God and only the word of God. And we're going to be using a passage um, in the New Testament. If you will, turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. You may think initially what a strange passage to select when uh, the emphasis or the context of this message is the truth of the Word of God. You're going to see, I hope, as, as we unpack this, how God, in fact, used His Word to revolutionize this situation here. The people that were involved in this one particular passage. I am waiting on you, John chapter 8. We're going to begin with verse 1 in a moment. But I want to set the stage for this message again. The emphasis, the context of this message is the Word of God. The wondrous power, the wondrous significance of the Word of God in our lives. And I want to share a couple passages with you. You don't have to go there. Just listen to these passages. And I'm sure these are passages that you are uh, extremely familiar with. You are acquainted with, I'm sure. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 16 and 17 reads, All Scripture is inspired by God, and all Scripture is useful for teaching and for showing people what is wrong in their lives. It is useful for correcting faults and teaching the right way to live. Using the Scriptures, those who serve, using the scriptures, those who serve God will be prepared and will have everything they need to do every good Work. I'm sure there's probably a version you're not acquainted with. Uh, that's just simply the one I use for those verses. But think about the, the, the capacity, the ability of the Word of God to change and transform our lives. The second passage is Matthew 24, 35. It's a short verse. It reads, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. You see, the eternal value, the eternal scope... The eternal existence of the Word of God. It's, it's superior to everything else. Superior to every other authority. It is the standard of the Almighty living God. And the third passage is found in Psalms 119 
verse 89. I love this passage. It says, simply forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And there's a passage in the Bible someplace, I forget where it is at this time, that says that God one day is going to shake heaven. One day he's going to shape, shake, um, shake heaven and shake the earth. And everything that's not rooted and grounded in the substance of the word of God is going to come down. And that's exactly why when you and I sometime in the past, perhaps you've been saved 20, 30, 40 years. Perhaps you've only been saved one week. There's a distinction in your life today because of the word of God. Not because you come to this church. Not because you know people that come to this church. Not because of your job, the finances, the amount of money that you have in your bank. The distinction in your life today is because of the authority of the Word of God at work within you. Coupled together with the living hope that we have. The living, breathing presence of God Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. How many say amen to that? So John chapter 8. Verses 1 through 11, and then I will read verse 32. <clears throat> you have it, say amen. amen. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst... They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery and in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have cause to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And they who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the elders, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus has lift, had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Verse 32, to close the passage, reads, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Can you say amen to God's word? Listen, this, when I was reading this passage, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to, that I felt from the Lord the need to place a premium emphasis on the truth of God's word. And I know I may be preaching to the choir here this morning because I know that this is a body of believers who truly appreciate the word of God. And I know that and the case in point is the fact that you've been able to um, exist as a church without a pastor for so long. That's extremely rare. It's to your credit. But it speaks to the fact that you possess the word of God in your lives. It's not because you have a special elder team in this church. It's not because this church is located in the ideal place, the ideal corner here in Norwalk. It's because of the existence of the word of God in your life. I know for a fact from the outside and now from the inside looking in, that this church is rooted and grounded in the truth of the Word of God. And that's the reason why you've endured 14 months without a pastor. Amen. There's no other reason to what can we attribute it outside of that significance. It's because you know the Word of God. Now concerning this passage, this is one of those scenarios in Scripture Filled with people who perfectly represent all of mankind. We're going to unpack that a little bit, but I'm going to say that again. This is one of those scenarios in Scripture filled with people who perfectly represent all of mankind. You see, this dynamic 
the dynamic that we read about in this one particular passage, you got religious people, you got non-religious people, you got this woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, you got these, uh, these accusers, you got these hypocrites, you got these people who just wanted to see a show. This scenario, this dynamic that's taking place in this passage has been playing itself out in life since the very beginning of time. From Genesis chapter, chapter 3, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against the word of God, this scenario has been playing itself out in mankind from the very beginning. And it's a chaotic situation. It's a conflict taking place between people, all kinds of people. Now listen to this. This concerns a conflict that occurs when the moral standard of truth is not in its proper place in the lives of mankind. And that's where we're going to get into this idea of God's, the importance of God's word. Remember the situation. It's a, it's a crisis that's taking place. You got these people who are accusing religious people, non-religious people, and they caught this woman in adultery. And now they want to somehow utilize their own standard to declare this woman guilty. They actually, they were testing Jesus Christ. It's what the passage allows us to understand. Right. But they, they were being hypocritical and they were testing Christ, <clears throat> Christ in the process. But the but the more important question is that why was this dynamic unfolding the way that it was? The reality is the moral standard of God's law was not present in their lives. Jesus was on the scene to establish his word in their lives. Jesus was seeking to make a difference in their lives. How so? John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This situation is not new. It wasn't new then and it certainly isn't new today. It's unfolding, perhaps, in some of our lives. It's a crisis that plays itself out over and over again. When we fail to implement the standard of the Word of God in our lives, a crisis ensues. A chaos unfolds in our lives. However, the good news is that Jesus wants to resolve our troubles through the application of His Word. That's exactly why I read John 8.32 in this passage. It reads, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So it doesn't matter where you are in your life today. It doesn't matter what crisis you're dealing with today. What chaos. It doesn't matter whether the bill collectors are knocking on your door, or your phone is ringing off the hook because somebody in the government is trying to get your undivided attention. Doesn't matter whether you have drug issues, alcohol issues. Doesn't matter you have homeless issues. Just doesn't matter where you are in life today. If you have a crisis, Jesus today is seeking to make a difference in your life. And it begins with the substance of his word, the truth, the authority of his word. Mankind cannot fulfill God's purpose without the Word of God implanted in their lives. Amen, somebody. Now, let's consider this passage. Point number one. An invitation has been made. An invitation has been made. Look at verses 1 and 2 in your text, please. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple... So much for that tradition we see depicted in movies and things like that, where this scene takes place out in the streets. Look what it says. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught him. That was the scene. This was where the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to him. But think of the point. Jesus, an invitation has been presented. Now, remember, I'm going to go back a little bit because I don't want you to forget a crisis has taken place here that has been that perfectly represents all of mankind. A crisis that exists because of our failure to appropriate the standard of truth, which is the word of God. A crisis always occurs then. And so Jesus slips into this situation. And what does he do? He presents 
this crowd with an invitation. I know he shows up, the text says, and everybody comes over to him. But how many know? What are the chances? What are the chances that, that in this situation that somehow God's sovereignty wasn't on hand to bring about an awesome ending to everyone that was at hand? What are the chances that the, that, that the people were drawn to him by chance and that God, through his sovereignty, was not in effect drawing them to him? I don't know about you, but I totally believe a thousand percent that Jesus drew them to him. Amen, somebody, if you agree with me. So I believe that Jesus drew this crowd. And this is the first step on the part of God. <clears throat> In terms of this offer he makes to us. How many know that? The, the Bible says, I set before you this day life and death. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And this situation right here was no exception. Jesus Christ walks into that situation purposely. The right time, the right day, with the right crowd on hand, knowing full well that they were going to drag this woman into his presence, into, into the midst that was caught in a very act of adultery. Jesus is presenting this crowd with an invitation. John 3.16 is the perfect passage. I already cited that. But let's consider this a little bit further. <clears throat> if you want, you can follow along with me. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20. And I do apologize. I don't have the, the PowerPoint. I already told you. I'm, I'm, I, I, I feel berserked. I'm moving in so many different directions. We'll, we'll get there. We'll have a PowerPoint before you soon enough. But Proverbs chapter 1. Look at verse 20. We're talking about this invitation that Jesus Christ was making to them and not the other way around. They thought they were going to be testing him because they wanted to find reason to get rid of him. He was a threat. The opposite is true. He was inviting them to hear truth. Wisdom, verse 20. Wisdom cries out in the streets. She utters her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief places of concourse. In the openings of the gates, in the city she utters her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love to be simple? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. That's a question. Turn at my reproof. The Bible says wisdom cries out. Wisdom cries out. The point is clear. Not just in this scenario, but in, 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 in life in general, somehow, some way, God always finds a way to communicate His Word to mankind. This passage says that wisdom, the voice of God is crying. In spite of the fact that we have a myriad of voices that exist, so many voices, voices of philosophy, economic voices and tradition and customs and ceremonies and all types of voices. You go into the inner city, the, the, the voices, forget it, they're, they're much worse. And young people are dying in our inner cities because of the, the voice, that particular voice of temptation, drugs and alcoholism and gang violence and sexual immorality and all sorts of voices that are vying for our attention. And more often than not, we are saying yes and amen to these voices that are contrary to the voice of God. And yet God is always speaking. There isn't a time when God is not speaking. This one passage in Proverbs speaks to that effect. Now go to Romans, Romans 120. Check that out. Proverbs 120, Romans 120. Okay. Romans 120. In this one particular verse, I love it because it speaks to the fact that God even utilizes nature, everything around us to speak volumes into our lives. You have it? Anybody have that passage? I want you to stand up. I want somebody to read that passage really loud. Romans 1.20, really loudly. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Amen. Thank you, brother. So you see that? It, when you look upon nature, science, when you study science, science does not contradict creation. 
Science confirms creation. I'm going to give you one example. How many of you, with a show of hands, how many ever heard of laminin? The term laminin. One person. Okay, two, three. A few people. Laminin. L-A-M-I-N-I-N. When you get an opportunity at home a little bit later, look, look up laminin under a microscope. It's going to knock the boots off your feet and then some. Laminin, here it is in a nutshell. Laminin is a cohesive molecule in the body. It's the rebar of the human body. How many of you remember the movie Star Trek? Back in the days. You remember the blob? You remember Jabba the, not the blob, Jabba the Hutt? That one king. Remember Jabba the Hutt? How many remember Jabba the Hutt? Star Wars. That's Star Wars? Not Star Trek? Okay, Star Wars. That's right. Thank you, wife. I appreciate it. Star Wars. Remember Jabba the Hutt? Creepy fellow, wasn't he? He had no skeletal system. At least, I don't think he did. It's like a bunch of fluid, right? That's exactly how you and I would be without laminin in our body. It's a cohesive molecule. In the same way that I would imagine this rebar running through this concrete, so that in the event of the shake, the movement of the earth, Right? This building will more than likely remain standing because of the rebars. The concrete is not enough to fortify this structure. We need the rebar. Well, laminin is the rebar of the human body. When you look it up under a microscope, guess what? It's in the perfect shape of a cross. It's in the perfect shape. Oh, I heard that. Now you sound like a bird. She called me a bulldog last week, this morning she called me a pig. Now I call you a bird. Arr! So laminin is in the perfect form of a cross. The passage that correlates with that idea is found in Colossians chapter 1. Where in him all things consist. God holds everything together with the power and authority of the word of God. Point number two, concerning this text, the convicting nature of God's word. The convicting nature. Number one, he gives us an invitation. That's the wondrous ability of the word of God. God uses his word to draw us to him. And number two, the second step is that he uses the same word to bring about this conviction. What kind of conviction? Well, so that he can, so that we can realize just what we are made of apart from him. How many know that we will never come to the realization of the, I need you, I need God without first and foremost realizing that we are sinners. Most people don't come to God because they don't realize that they're sinners. They, they may understand the concept when we share it with them, but it doesn't mean anything until they appropriate, until they take ownership of that reality. Wow, I'm a sinner. One day long ago in 1989, somebody talked to me about Jesus Christ and said, you are a sinner and you are on your way to hell. I never heard that before. I needed to hear that. And so what did I do? I don't want to go to hell. What must I do to be saved? Sound familiar? And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I gave him my life without reservations. And so in spite of my past, as most of you are acquainted with, in spite of the difficulties that I've had in my life, I'm able to stand before you today because my life is rooted and grounded in the substance of the Word of God. Amen, somebody. There's absolutely nothing like the Word of God. The day this church preaches something other than the Word of God, listen, run for the hills. Run for your life. Don't tolerate it. Because we need the truth of the Word of God in our lives. So look at verses nine, 7 through 9. The convicting nature of God's Word. So when they continue, this is, I'm sorry, what did I say? Verses 7 through 9, John chapter 8. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now notice that this is Jesus Christ speaking. Not somebody else. This is Jesus. He's, well, he's essentially speaking. He's writing on the ground this, that, and the other. But he speaks to them. And he says, He that is without sin among you, let him First, cast 
a stone at her. The word of God is going forth, and let's find out what happens as a result. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they who heard it being convicted by their own conscience, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the elders, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. You talk about a confrontation, that's it right there. He tells them, he calls them hypocrites, essentially. He writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. Lots of theologians have speculated. The bottom line, at the end of the day, we don't know what Jesus Christ wrote on the ground. But it was impactful in their lives nonetheless. Because he was the incarnate word of God, right? John 1.1. He was the incarnate word of God. He was speaking to them himself he wrote it on the ground. No matter what he wrote on the ground, it's coming from the word of God. It's coming from Christ himself. And it impacted their lives. And here it is. He foiled their plans. They dropped their stones. And one by one, they walked away. One by one. When he makes a move in our direction, he always looks to reveal our nature to us. They needed that. Jesus Christ wanted to make a difference in their lives. How many believe that, like me, Jesus came to save sinners? That's what the Bible teaches, right? And in this situation, even though we find that a woman, a woman's life was spared and her life was transformed, we're going to get to that in a few moments. How many would believe, like me, you don't have to answer, but I believe that Jesus Christ wanted to make a personal difference in the lives of these Pharisees that walked away. He wanted to reach them too. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Matthew 18, 11 states that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Pharisees are included in that bunch, but they end up walking away. But they were convicted by his words nonetheless. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 gives us an understanding as, as to what takes place under this authority of the word of God. Listen to this. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Other versions read, for the word of God is active and alive. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the separation of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You talk about confrontation. Jesus talked about and Paul the Apostle and James. Pretty much all the apostles, they reiterated something that Jesus Christ talked about. Saying that sinners don't want to step into the light for fear of their deeds being exposed. Bowls. How many of you, here's an illustration, how many of us late in the evening have ever tried using the darkness of our homes to get from the bathroom to our bedrooms without anyone realizing that we were completely undressed? Only to have someone turn on the lights. How many of you have ever been there? Come on, come on, be, be honest, be honest. I forgot my robe, I forgot my towel, I air-dried, I stayed in the bathroom long enough, I got to get from the bathroom to the bedroom, but the kids are out there somewhere, and we're running, it's dark, we're undercover, right? And halfway to the bedroom, bam, the lights come on, ah, and, and we freak out, right? Light reveals, light exposes. I was here one time praying by myself, and it was really dark. And I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I walked over, stumbled, nearly stumbled over these drums, this drum set, and I reached the light. The moment I hit the switch, everything was exposed. Light will always cast out darkness. When Jesus Christ slips into our lives, He always does so because He wants to make a difference in our lives. He comes into minister to us.
But he has this immediate impact in our lives, especially when we don't have an understanding of the scriptures, an understanding um, of the grace of God. He slips in to our midst. And because he's perfect light, the Bible says that he's like a perfect sphere with whom there is no shadow of turning. No shadow of turning. Why is that? Because life, light flows from God and not to Him. Light flows from Him. And so He doesn't cast any shadows. You and I walk in, if I walk out into the middle of this floor, I'm, because of the lighting that's coming from all directions, I'm going to cast a shadow in every direction. That's my imperfection at work. But that's not God. God is absolutely perfect. Light flows out of God. And when He slips into this place, He, br- he brings about this conviction but it's only the, sec- the second step in the process of him ministering to us. First, he draws us to him. And the second step is that he brings about this conviction because it's necessary. Without conviction, we won't, we'll never get to the place of realizing the extent to which we need him in our lives. It wasn't until the law caught up to me. Slammed the gate behind me that I realized that I was a sinner. Prior to that, I thought I was a saint. Prior to that, I thought, you know, there there is no absolute. I thought I can, I thought, I I believed in relativism. To each his own, right? Do what you're going to do. Don't let anybody tell you that it's wrong. Live the way you want to live. Think how you want to think. Behave how you want to behave. Do what you want to do with whomever you want to do. As long as you want to do it, nobody has the right to say anything to you. Relativism. One day, the bars were closed behind me in the prison cell, and I realized that I was a sinner. The light came on. I realized that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in this passage. We're talking about the wondrous power and significance of the Word of God in our lives. Amen, somebody. Amen. That's what the Gospel does. It reveals all. Let's go on to our third point and our final point. The Word of God is transformative. It transforms. And this is the last step in God's confrontation of man. First, He draws us to Him. He convicts us of the reality of sin. And then when we appropriate truth, He transforms our lives. You're either going to walk away from Him and remain unsaved, or He accepts you and ultimately frees you from the bondages of sin. Look at verse 10, actually the last part of verse 10 and all of verse 11, John chapter 8. It says, has no man condemned you? She says, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me should not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's amazing what takes place here. It's extraordinary when you unpack this thing. And listen, I, I, I could only do a little bit. I encourage you to take this home with you. Read, pick up a commentary set or something. It's phenomenal what takes place here. Number one, Jesus frees her from man's condemnation. Number two, Jesus frees her from his own condemnation. He says, neither do I condemn you. And number three, because... He makes the statement, let me get to it, let me get to it. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Now, I don't know what she did with the rest of her life. I just don't know that. We can speculate. That would be ignorant, but we can speculate. But somehow, some way, there's this, this understanding. I, I, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm inferring. I get it. But I truly believe this woman's life was transformed. We don't know that definitively. I don't know whether she appropriated what Jesus said to her. And she ran with it. She said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. She probably went on to be an evangelist. She probably, listen, the first evangelists were women in the Bible. 
she probably went on to make a difference in the lives of a lot of people. I, ha- I have to believe that. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He frees her from man's condemnation, from his own, and his word is the one thing that made it all possible. How many know that it's important to be freed from God's condemnation? The Bible says that the wrath of God, the wrath of God abides upon those who are disobedient. The wrath of God abides upon the wicked. But it's not so with the believer. It's this wonderful word called sanctification. Another wonderful word called justification. Romans chapter 5. What God does in our lives when, when, when we say yes to Jesus Christ. He comes in. He destroys the works of the enemy in our lives. Quite literally. He destroys the mechanisms of the devil. These bondages. These, uh, these attachments. These things that make it difficult for us to, to live out the wonders true for the word of God. Jesus comes in and he destroys all of it. He comes into our lives with a sledgehammer. And he begins to destroy everything that's not of God. And he woos us in his direction. And he makes it possible through his word for us to, to experience this abundant life that he talks about in John 10.10. 10. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And that you may have it more abundantly. Let, with a show of hands, how many living out this wonderful, abundant life? Listen, you may not be perfect. I understand. But look back. Take a good look back. You're not where you used to be either. Right? I'm struggling today. I got some issues. Some of my issues have issues. Right? But I'm not where I used to be. Because of the wondrous truth we find in the Word of God. Wow. Now that's God's being freed from God's condemnation. How many know that it's equally important? I know it may not necessarily be relevant to the passage, but it says that He freed her from man's condemnation. How many know that's important? It, that's very important. He frees us from man's condemnation. Some of us are very acquainted with it, perhaps not now, but in the past, I, I was very acquainted with man's condemnation. As a result of it, I, you know, had to go, go, you know, little vacation. I had to go on a little vacation because of man's condemnation. But because of me, my, my faults, it always comes back to our faults. How many, you know, how many of us know that if you, if, 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 you, if you don't play with your numbers, your finances the right way, you go... You're going to have somebody coming knocking on the doors. Can you cheat on your taxes? Señor Ayala, Señor Ayala, Mr. Smith, um, we need you to come into the office. Jesus frees us from that sort of thing. No, I'm not saying that you don't have to make amends when, where, where, where it's necessary. But he frees us from the, its condemnation from its effects in our lives. That's wonderful. Then he gives me the wisdom through his word to go ahead and make those things right in my life. To handle all of my affairs the way that I should. Let's consider a verse. Psalms 119 verse 9. It says, how can a young man stay pure? By obeying your word. And the point here again, let me read it to you, is... The word of God is trans, transformative. The word of God transforms our life. And the question is, how can a young man, a young person stay pure? The answer is by obeying your word. Our government has it all wrong. Our government is trying to throw money at our problem. There's no amount, of mo- no amount of money you can throw into the inner city of Los Angeles or anywhere else for that matter to really make a lasting difference in the lives of people. Because our problem is moral, not financial. I'm unable to handle finances if I'm immoral. You gotta, you gotta fix, uh, uh, assault the fundamental issue. And that is sin. And only the Word of God can address the fundamental issues. We got our young people that are, that are delving into all sorts of things here in society. Here in Norwalk too. Because I've seen it with my own eyes. 
all sorts of things are being entertained by young people today. What they need is instruction in the Word of God. Amen, parents. We, we, they need the Word of God. It's the one thing that will make a difference in their lives. How about this verse? John seventeen seventeen. Jesus was praying. And he's talking to the Father. He says, Father, he was pointing down to us. Because he's eternal, right? Not just for those that were there then, but for you and I here today. He says, Father, sanctify them through that truth. Thy word is truth. Father, I want you to cleanse them. Father, I want you to deliver them. Father, I'm, I'm asking you to set them free. I'm asking you to resolve the issues in their lives. I'm asking you, Father, to free them from the ravages of sin. From the bondages of sin. Thy word is truth. God is doing this wonderful work in our lives through the authority of the Word of God. Here's a summary. Not only is the Word of God key, the key to our salvation, but it is also the determining factor for our growth. Not only is the Word of God the key to our salvation, but the determining factor for our growth. How many know that you're not going to grow spiritually without the substance of the Word of God? I, I hope you know that. There are a lot of Christians, I'm sure you may, I, I, not in this church. They, they're, down, they're down the street somewhere. But there are a lot of believers who actually believe that you can come to Christ today and, and listen, just go about your business tomorrow. And somehow, someway, everything is going to unfold beautifully. And that the sky is going to be blue over our heads every single day. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that in Scripture? Through the Word of God, the Lord draws us to Himself. This is a summary. He draws us to Himself. Wisdom cries out in the streets. He even uses nature to do so. Through the Word of God, He convicts us of sin. Romans chapter 3. Put this down if you're taking notes. It's the perfect pack passage in the Word of God that gives us a clear picture of who we are, what we are made of apart from God in our lives. It's perfect. There's none righteous. No, not one. They are all together, dot, dot, dot. Without Him, we are nothing. Through the Word of God, He convicts us of sin. So that then, so that in turn, He prepares us to receive His love. In order to free us from the bondage of sin. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. They wanted to condemn her. Jesus knew it in advance from eternity past. He slips into that delicate situation. He understands the, the chaos, the conflict that existed in the lives of the people that were present there. He understands the conflict that you and I deal with every single day. Listen, I got a lot of ignorant spots in my life. I don't have it all together yet. The Word of God is fundamental in my life. I understand it. I'm devoted to God. I, I, there are no reservations, but I'm not perfect. And as a result, from time to time, if I'm moving in this direction, my wife has to pull me by the ear and bring me right back in the other direction. And guess what? I do it to her too from time to time. Bye bye. I, 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 where you going? You're going the wrong way. Right? You're going the wrong way. Like sheep, we do that. Right? But God is, He's present in our lives because He is seeking to deliver us from evil. I don't know where you are with your faith, where you are with your circumstances, but please know if you commit yourself to the study, not just the reading, but the study of God's Word, God will revolutionize your life. He will transform your life. He'll flip your world upside down for the better. Because without Him, we're no good. Without Him, we're moving in the wrong directions. Without Him, we, we, we entertain a, a, a thought, an ambition, a desire, a passion that's not rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Things that only serve to keep us down. And I don't, want, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in bondage. 
I want to live in freedom. I want to walk this this new life, this abundant life that he promises us in his word. It's possible. It's not mysticism. It's not religion. It's life to the fullest. Isn't that right, Jenny? It's life to the fullest. I want that life. I had that life. And I want more of it. How many want more of it? I'm going to leave you with a quote from one of my favorite authors, Charles Spurgeon. There are times when solitude is better than society and silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word, spiritual strength for labor in his service. We ought to muse upon the things of God because we thus get the real nutrient out of them. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? His answer, because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. We thank you for its simplicity, though its eternal value, it's powerful. There's nothing like it. It's forever settled in heaven. We love it today, Lord God. We acknowledge it today more than ever before. And we declare that we need it in our life. We invite you to speak into our lives. We invite you, Lord God, to convict us. Is there anything within us? Are there voices, Lord God, that we are giving ourselves over to? Are we sensitive to voices contrary to your own? And if so, Lord God... How are we being impacted by those voices today? Help us to come back to the fold. Help us to to synchronize, Lord God, our lives with the gospel truth. Father, we want to be free from sin. Like this woman, Lord God, so long ago, man sought to condemn her and ultimately destroy her life. But you slipped into that situation. And you made a difference. And you did it through your word. Father, I need your word. I need your voice. I need, to, I need to be so sensitive to your voice in my life today. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here in this congregation. I pray that, Lord God, moving forward, I know the word of God has always been the standard of this church. But I pray that we may lend our ears in a, in a, in a, in a better way, Lord God. That we may be ever more sensitive to the voice of truth and less sensitive to the, to the systematics of this world and even the systematics of religion because they're, they're prevalent in society today. They're prevalent in our churches nowadays. These customs and these traditions of men. We need to be sensitive to you. Help us to do that today. I pray your blessings on your people, Lord God, as we prepare to go. And we pray these things in the matchless mighty name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.